Today we're going to talk about fellowshipping with one another. And how many of you are just like anybody else? You have that, there is, there's this, there's this desire within each and every one of us to belong. How many of you like to go to a place where you're accepted? You know, like Cheers. You go in there to have a beer and everybody knows your name, right? Nobody wants to go to a place where they're going to be made fun of or people are going to joke at them or, or look at them funny or treat them oddly. You know, we want to be accepted as individuals. And, and I myself, I have had to go through so many different transitions uh, in my life. You know, my wife, Christy, she went to school here her whole life in, in Lumberton. And, and myself, I went to about, I don't even, I lost count. I went to like 20 different schools. And I've, I've gone to Christian school, which was the least favorite of mine because I couldn't wear a mullet and I had to wear a tie to school every day. That was just terrible. You know, this was back in the 80s. You know, a mullet, you know, long in the back and short in the front. And so uh, I've got the pictures to prove it. But, you know, I just, uh, you know, and then like at the Christian schools, it was like all the worst kids in public school that the parents sent to Christian school because they thought that the Christian school would square their kids away that they were refusing to deal with themselves. And it just didn't work out that way. So I've gone, to, I've gone to home school, private school, Christian school, public school, <clears throat> and in every one of these instances, you know, you had to go into a new environment to, to represent yourself, to be accepted to a whole new group of people. And, um, you know, it is an odd thing to go to a place where you don't know anybody and you're like, man, this is just really, really awkward. And, and I myself was really, by nature, I'm an introvert. Uh, you know, I like my my dream in life was to live in a one room mon, uh, in cabin in Montana, and trap beavers and eat elk for the rest of my life. And you know, but my wife didn't we didn't she didn't like that idea when we were dating. But I was convinced, you know, this is what we're going to do. So, but God had other plans for me. But I remember, <clears throat> you know, as a kid, you know, as you get older, you get peer pressure and all these things, and you start doing things. You know, when you're like 12, 13 years old, you start kind of letting society mold you instead of you being what you want to be. And I remember going through that phase. Uh, I went to, uh, yes, 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 yes. So anyway, um, we, uh, I'm trying to remember, we, we, we moved to Houston, Texas uh, for about sixth grade year. And before then, you know, we, man, we, I'd gone to school in Alto, Texas. I'd gone to school in Houston, Mississippi. I'd gone to school in Lumberton. I went to Coonsville, third grade. But uh, by nature, I've always liked to wear boots, and, you know, then I wore uh, huskies because that's the only thing that would fit me. I never was able to wear 501s like the rest of the cool kids. But um, so, so I remember, you know, I remember going to Houston, Texas, and this school, this was a brand-new school. It was just junior high. It was just like 7th and 8th or 6th and 7th. I mean, it was just two grades in this huge campus that was bigger than all of Coons combined, you know. And I remember... I remember going in there, and I had boots and Wranglers and, a, and a, probably a brush popper on. I remember walking up in that school, and there was nobody wearing boots and Wranglers and everything. They were all preppies and skaters. And I was like, dude, I feel so awkward. And you see, really, you know, when you're about 12 or 13, it ain't really about what makes me feel good by wearing it. It's about what makes girls feel good about me when I wear it. You know what I mean? That's really what it's all about. So I remember before long, I had, you know, the, the Tom Cruise haircut and the baggy pants and the T-shirt, and, and I wore uh, Chuck Taylors. But Ch Chuck Taylors are cool. They're, they're cross-cultural. You know, you can wear them 
you know, you don't have to be a skater to wear Chuck Taylor All-Stars, you know. So, uh, but I remember I went and got me a skateboard, and I remember toting it under my arm. I had no interest in learning how to ride a skateboard. I was like, I could care less about this. I tried to stand up on it one time and almost broke my leg. And, but um, so I would carry this skateboard under my arm, and, and I, but I remember my heart was all about hunting and fishing. They had a big pond at this apartment complex, and I got, I got my first Shimano reel. So I'd be carrying my skateboard, I'd have my rod and reel in the hand, and I'd chunk that skateboard on the ground and go to fishing, you know, and then I'd carry it back, you know. But I was just trying to be accepted. I was trying to, I wanted people to like me. I wanted to be accepted, you know. Uh, I wanted the guys to tolerate me and the girls to just be madly in love with me, you know, because I was 12 and this was what I was about. But, but the sad thing about it is, is in, inside I was miserable because I had to put on this front and I had to be fake. And, you know, and, and I went, this was about a six-month period in my life. But one thing it taught me is this, is you got to find out who you are and be who the heck you are and be proud of who you are because people know when you're fake. People know when you're phony. And if they don't like you for who you are, then what, you ain't got no use for them anyway. Um, and so after that, we ended up going back to Houston, Mississippi. Then I went back to Alto in eighth grade. And then I came back to Lumberton ninth through twelfth grade. And I missed many schools in there. But I remember when I was in Alto, I just, you know, I said, hey, this, I'm a, I'm a, a redneck, you know, I'm a kicker, right? So I wore boots and wranglers and whatnot. And I remember coming back to Lumberton, and Lumberton, it was mostly preppies. It was not, ex- there was only like four of us in the whole 9th through 12th grade that wore boots and wranglers in 89 at Lumberton High School. It was not until Garth Brooks came along that it was acceptable for preppy kids to wear boots and wranglers. So I was with the Mandrell sisters. I was country when country wasn't cool, right? And, uh, but I remember coming to school in my boots. I said, this is who I am. And I was upset because they didn't have an FFA program at, at, at Lumberton or whatnot. So, but anyway, I just decided I'm going to be me. And, and me was boots all the time. Now, I was smart. I would wear gerbos and guests once every six months. And all the girls would be like, whoa, because you just really stood out that day, you know? Get a few phone numbers, and the next day just go back to my normal self. But, but um, see, you got to be smart in life, man. You got to be smart. But I would wear. I'm, I wished I still had them. I had a pair of tree bark bib overalls that I wore to school. I did, and you know what? The chicks still loved me because, you know what I mean? Because in 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 their hearts, everybody they were just tired of just the. The, just the everyday guy, they wanted a special guy, you know. They want the guy that wore his bib overalls to school and boots and, and the Fruity Loom one-pocket T-shirts, right? So, and, uh, and I still wore glasses in too, right? Yeah, I had my glasses. When I, I'd wear glasses off and on. And uh, so, you know, but, but, you know, that desire to be accepted, you know, it, it is so much better when you can be yourself and be accepted. It's so much better when you don't have to do everything in your life to, to try to gain acceptance from your peers, to, for people to love you, for people just to like you for who you are. And, uh, you know, that's what's so awesome about the church. Like today, William said, I believe that's God's theme today is this. Is, look, people, we are, not, uh, we are not a weekend club that gets together. We are a family. We are a community. We're, we are some people. I mean, we actually have a covenantal relationship with one another. But what's cool is God, Jesus paid the tab so that this could be possible. And before service, I went and talked to, uh, to Sam and Dusty and them, and I was asking them, I was, we were talking about subcultures. Man, you get subcultures, it's freaky. That's like, 
You know, you've got rockabilly, right? You even have gothabilly. They're rockabilly, but they're gothic too. And I mean, it's crazy. You've got punkabilly. They're punk rockers, but they like rockabilly music. I mean, we got a pretty diverse culture. There's a lot of different subcultures. And then you've got your hipsters. Hipsters are, all, hipsters are all about being independent, right? They're about being against the mainstream. So, but in their, in their trying to be independent, what have they done? They've created a culture of a bunch of like-minded people that look just alike, speak just alike. And so there is no originality. You're a part of something. I mean, you can't be just totally just disconnected from society and, and nobody like you because the deal is, is if you do something new today, tomorrow it will become a fad. You know, today, you know. So you kids wear bib overalls to school, and tomorrow everybody else will be doing it too. That's the way you got to roll. So, this, so, so the, the thing of it is, is, is the church, the church is really, uh, it is, it's the best thing to be a part of. And I, I want to read, read about what happened when the Holy Spirit fell. The day the New Testament church began, this is what happened in Acts 2.42. <clears throat> Excuse me. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. So they devoted themselves to the fellowship of this church. And it says, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And it says, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were, were together and had all things in common. How many, of you, how many organizations have you been a part of that that describes? How many little league clubs have you been together that it sounds like that? All together and had, you know, how many school boards have you seen? All, all they had all things in common. You know, how many, uh, how many kids groups have you been a part of? How many softball leagues have you been a part of where everybody had, you know, all things in common? There's always a split. There's a different percentage. It might be 10, 90, or 40, 60, but it seems like there's always two entities within all these groups they just can't jive, can't get along, have a different vision, have a different plan, have a different desire. And it says, um, all believed who were together and had all things in common. It says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Who was adding to their number? The Lord. I, I see the church as this. I see the church that when the church comes together in unity and love and care and concern and worship and admiration for the Father, that God is the one that provides the increase. And he sends people, I believe, for the most part. He wants to... He wants to add to people that he can trust. God is looking for churches that he can send people to that he can trust to be stewards of those people, whether they're new believers or mature believers or somebody that's relocated looking for a church. I believe that. And so our, our, our objective really so much shouldn't be just, just be out looking for new people. Our objective is be, to be a place where God can bring an increase to us, to be a place where God would be pleased to say, hey, I want, I want my people to go to your church. Because growing up, I've been to many different churches being a preacher's kid. And when I was 15 years old, I had no use for the church. I was disgusted with the church. I hated the church, and I hated the people that went to church. But you know what? In my life, because of my, my, when God lined my personal walk with him out, when I came to know him, when I said, okay, God, 
I'm, I'm, I'm done. I want to do this your way. I want to serve you. And he said, hey, this, your salvation is between me and you. But God began to show me through the scriptures that, hey, but my plan is for the church. My, my, my desire is for the church. My, my love is for the church. Jesus died for the church. And I want to tell you this today, that your fellowship with the Lord coincides with your fellowship with his believers. Your fellowship with God is the same as your fellowship with his people. You know, the Bible says that if we say that we love God, but that we don't love our brother, that you're full of bull. That's the Chad West version. It says you're a liar and the truth is not in you. So we can't have this relationship where we love God, but we don't like, you know, the, the, the other people that are, that are legitimate brothers and sisters that are believing in the same faith and walking in the same repentance towards Jesus Christ. It says we're family and we're to fellowship with one another. And we're not, and you know, and the word fellowship is much deeper than just, you know, when we say fellowship, a lot of people say we're having a church fellowship, okay? We're going to come together, eat fried chicken, ice cream, and get fat in the name of Jesus, right? That's, that's a lot of the, that's kind of the, what people think of fellowship is. But, you know, fellowship means it's, it's a much deeper than that. Uh, there's a word growing up that we, we always pronounced it, koinonia. It's actually uh, uh, koinonia. But I'm going to say koinonia because it's a whole lot easier, okay? Because I'm not, I'm not Greek. And uh, I might have had a Greek relative, I'm not sure. But, but Greek, uh, it, that is the Greek word for fellowship in the Bible that you, that's always used when it says fellowship. And this word, it means fellowship, but it also means sharing in common, and it means communion. You know, communion is like relationship, but it's like a deep, intimate relationship. It's, it's, it's serious. It's not... It's not a light relationship. It's not shallow. It's pretty deep. But this is the word that is used uh, to describe fellowship in the Bible. This is the fellowship that we're to have one another. And you know what? Like I said, this is something that it's not just, it's not like going to a club or a group or an organization and saying, hey, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of, you know, the, the football team or, or whatever civic organization it is. This is something that you enter in through in a spiritual way, it is spiritually activated and it is lived out spiritually. It is a spiritual thing that only Christians can be a part of, that only Christians can experience, and only people with the Holy Spirit in them can be a part of. So it's much deeper than any organization, and it's spiritual. You know, the thing is, is when you give your life to Christ... You know, in Ephesians, I think it's 2, or Ephesians 2, it says that before we come to Christ, it says that we're aliens, we're orphans, we're without hope, we're without Jesus. We're, we're pretty much in a cruddy situation there. But it, said, but, it, but it transitions there and it says, but when you come to Christ, it says you are no longer an alien, but you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. It says, no, you're no longer an orphan, but you're a son of or daughter of, of, of the Most High King. And it says, now you have a hope. Now, now you have a future that God totally cares about and, and God totally wants to be a part of with you. You see, this is what this fellowship is that we're a part of as a church. The Bible says that we're to cry together, that we're to laugh together, that we're to be concerned for one another. And all these one another's that we're talking about is kind of involved in this fellowship that we have, we have a commitment to one another. We have a responsibility to one another. Our lives should be 
engulfed around one another because of what Jesus has done in our lives. And the way that we respond to one another in this fellowship is dictated and, and, and directed by Jesus' response to us in our individual lives. You see, because this fellowship is the representation of Jesus on this earth. This fellowship that we have, this body that we have, you see, Jesus done. Jesus did the work that he needed to do to activate within us a new life to bring us to life spiritually so that we could be a part of this fellowship and we could extend that fellowship to those that would receive it here on this earth. So how do we experience the koinea fellowship of God? How do we, how do we truly say, okay, how do I be a part of this? How, how do I, you know, what's cool about it is Jesus, you know, I, you see churches that are so, they're so I'm, re, I'm ready to see, uh, an even number of Hispanic, blacks, whites, uh, Eskimos, Polynesians. I don't give a flip. I want to see a church here in southeast Texas because I saw it when I was a kid. Church doesn't exist anymore. But I, I want to see a multi-ethic church because I believe in a multi-ethic heaven. I don't believe we're going to go to heaven and it's just going to be the cowboy church. I don't believe we're going to go to heaven. It's just going to be a bunch of bikers riding bikes around, slinging tracks around. I believe it's going to be of every tongue, of every tribe, and of every nation. And that our, 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 common, our common grounds is not what we wear, what we do. What we, it, our common ground is the fact that we saw that we needed Jesus Christ in our life. And that it is his blood that brings us all together individually and uniquely into the same fold. It's his blood that was shed for us that ties us all together and brings us into the same community. 1 John 1, 3 through 7. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Now, this is Paul saying, hey, we're proclaiming the gospel to you, so that you can have fellowship with us. Now, he, what, he, what he's talking about here, he's not saying that, you know, we can't talk, you're an unbeliever. The goal is for them to become believers. Now, he'll go in a minute talking about the difference between the world and being a, a believer. But the goal here is for people to have the fellowship that we have through the blood of Jesus Christ, to be a part of the family that we are a part of. He says, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So the goal is, is for us to extend fellowship to people to be in fellowship with us because we have fellowship with Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. You see, in good fellowship comes the joy. And the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness and we, do, and we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And he's talking about we have fellowship. We have fellowship. Why? Because we are light bearers. And it says, but listen, here's why. And the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Amen. So it says here that Jesus Christ, when we believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved, that we, because of his blood, are brought into communion, we're brought into fellowship, we're brought into family 
we're brought into the group together as the flock, as the church, as the bride of Christ, as the pillar that, that, that the Bible calls us. But it is Jesus' blood that brings us together. It's Jesus' blood that makes us alive on the inside. It's Jesus' blood that makes us cry when each other cries. It's Jesus' blood that makes us laugh when the other person laughs. It's Jesus' blood that lets us have concern for one another when we need to have concern for one another. See, this is a special thing that God has created. This is a special thing that God has designed. And Satan knows that the fellowship of the church is his greatest thing that's against him. Why? Because the Bible says that it's through the church that God wants to manifest his wisdom to the powers of this world. And Satan knows that if he can distort the church, if he could break the church, if he could get people flaky and not commit to the church, then he will have a stronghold where the church allows him because the church has the keys to the kingdom. And what they say goes and what they don't mess with is allowed to endure. And so God has put the responsibility in us, with us, and wants to operate through us, through his church, and the fellowship of believers is so important. But it is through the blood of Jesus Christ that we become a part of the club. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that brings us together, that makes us one, that changes our heart for one another. You see, because for us to have the true fellowship, the koinea fellowship, we can't even love one another without understanding how much Jesus loved us. We can't love one another without receiving the love that he has given us that activates the new heart within us. And so that's what makes us part of a great fellowship, of a great community. You know, our, our slogan or whatever that we put on our billboard is our family, his grace, your home. This is our family. This is our family. This is my family. If, if I were to get in a bind today, it would be somebody in here that I would call upon. If I was in an electrical bind, I would call Dexter. If I was in a, a mechanical bind, I would call Dexter or Carl Shaver. Uh, you know, if, if I was in a carpentry bind, I would call Jack or I would call Dwight, you know. But, but the deal is, is, you know, the names that come to my mind when I need somebody, I go immediately to my church family. Rarely is it somebody outside of the church family that my mind goes to. I'm like, who, who would love me enough to come do this even though they didn't want to? I mean, truly, because it's not about wanting to do it. Sometimes you do it because you love somebody and they need help. You know what I mean? So this, this is, that's where my mind goes to, is to people in the church. My family, I, I, people that I know love me and, and, and will take care of me. And then my heart, and then people call me because they know I'm going to be there for them in their time of need. But, what is the, but once, we, once we accept Jesus and become a part of uh, the body of Christ, you know, the, the, Satan still wants to disrupt this koinia. Satan still wants to uh, disturb the fellowship within believers. You know, pretty much most of what we read about the church and how to handle the church and when to deal with stuff and, and, and forgiveness and relationships and being together, it all has to do with strengthening the koinia love and fellowship and communion that God wants in his church. And I want to ask you today, your life is either strengthening the church or it's, it's tearing down the church. Now, you may not be, you, you possibly could be destroying it for other people, or you could just be detaching yourself and losing 
the effect that God wants to have in your life because you're backing out or not being a part or, or whatever it may be. You may be getting too committed to what the world has to offer. And, and in 2 Corinthians six fourteen through 18, it says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It says, For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? You see, in this fellowship, we are righteous because of the blood of Jesus. It says, Or what fellowship has light with darkness? We talked about light and darkness earlier. It says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? It says, For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk with them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. You know that's the heart of God. His people is this fellowship. It's this community. It's this body, this church that he created. And this has been his desire from the beginning of the word. He says it multiple times. I want to be their God and I want them to be my people. And he says, Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And what happens is we, we, we become a part of the church and we fellowship, but what we do is we begin to allow the world to come into our lives, the darkness, when we are a light bearer. See, if you have Jesus in you, that's a light that cannot be snuffed out. But it can be affected. It can be, it can be, it can be, you know, the song, this is a light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. We can cover it up. We can hide it from the world. We can allow the darkness to surround us and that we can allow it to disturb what God wants to do in our lives. But what we need to do is we need to look in the light of light. We need to look into the light, to the light of who we are and what we're a part of. And we need to tell darkness to get the heck out of our lives. Because Satan is looking to to interrupt your light shining process through people, things, mess, and stuff, and idols, and, and, and focuses, and God wants to be a part of your life. And, and, the, and the scripture tells us what the world looks like. It's drunkenness, it's sexual immorality, it's all these things, and we talked about this the other day. We can't, we can't like, like I said, there's two ways to get out of the world, suicide and a rocket, you know, and I don't want to do neither one of them, so... You know, the Bible says you're in the world. It says, but be not of the world. But we're to reach out to those people in love. But what we can't do is we can't play their games. We can't expand their darknesses. We can't live by their rules. We need to be on our grounds. And, and people ask me all the time, well, how do, we, how do we fellowship with the world? Well, first of all, you don't fellowship with the world. Don't be unequally yoked with them. You love them and care for them. You show the gospel to them. But you, all, you live life on... God's terms. Don't, don't put yourself on their terms. Don't put yourself in situations where you don't have a say. Don't put yourself in the darkness where you, you can't be effective. Don't put yourself in harm's way where Satan has the upper hand. You've got to live life tactically and strategically and listening to the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the word of God is a light unto my feet, a light unto my path in the middle of a dark world. And once we step off that light path into the darkness, we get ourselves in much trouble. Much trouble. And God wants us to stay on the lighted path. But God wants us to be a people called out, a people of home, a people. You see, it should be, the Bible even says that it is our love for one another that should be a symbol to the world that we are the disciples of Christ. It should be our affections. You know, not all churches can say that. 
There's some churches that are divided, they're, they're divisive, they're angry, they're bitter, they cut, they slander, and they are not the picture that Jesus has called them to be to display what he wants us to show the world in the light. We're not, they're not spreading the light, they're increasing the darkness in this world. Last scripture here I want to share with you is in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And this scripture, I've heard it and read it and said it a thousand times. This is a very important scripture, you know, I believe, that a lot of people are looking. In Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So, so we as a family, we as people of God, are to stir one another up, right? Now, how do you do that? Do we put everybody in a KitchenAid and spin it around? And, you know, I mean, how do you do that? Now, the first thing I want to say is this, is if you're not in the bowl, you ain't getting mixed. If you're not in the bowl, you're not getting mixed. If you're not in the bowl, you're not getting mixed. But if you're in the bowl, you should be getting mixed. And we do that. We do that by encouraging one another. We do that by serving one another, by doing the one another's, and, and coming together through the Koinea Fellowship, through, through the commitment to the common goal that we all have to share this blood that Jesus shared for us, to, to let the world see it. But it says... Let us consider how to stir up one another and to love and good works, not neglecting. You know what? These, right now there's this big deal about people leaving their kids in cars and they're dying of heat exhaustion. People, that's called neglect. That means not taking care of your business. That means you're not doing what you're supposed to do. You're not doing what you are responsible for. It ain't about doing what somebody else is responsible for. Who's responsible for my children, me and my wife? Who's responsible for your kids? You you and your wife. I mean, you know, it's about neglect is something that you're responsible for. Paul says here, he says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. So so, So since the beginning of the New Testament church, there has been flaky people. People that kind of come when they want to and all that. Because they don't truly understand what it is that God wants to do in the church. They don't value fellowship. They don't value the body. They don't, they don't, it's not a, it's not a priority in their lives. You got people today saying, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church. How can you, that's because they might have read three scriptures in their life, and that's their whole understanding of the Bible. But when you read about the church and how passionate God is for it, and how, and how God wants to work through it, because what happens is everybody wants to go out and do their little solo missions and be their little mavericks, and there's nowhere in the Bible where, the, where, where God says this. God says that we're a team, we're a community, we, we, we encourage one another, train one another, teaching one another, and all those things, and we're to be one it says, as in some are doing, it says, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so this neglect, what happened, when we don't come to church, first of all, we're neglecting the hearing of the word, we're neglecting corporate worship, which is a, which is a magnificent time for God to do some really awesome things in your life if you're there. God, it frustrates a pastor when he says things and and, and not out of judgmentalism, but just saying, God, these people, the people that need to hear what you're saying aren't there. Me, I've been going to church for dang near my whole life. And I'm scared to death that if I don't show up one Sunday, I'm going to miss out on something. 
because I've been at the right time, at the right place when God wanted to speak to me, and it was something that I desperately needed to hear. It was something that was going to encourage me to continue on going in the direction that I was going or to change and go somewhere else. But I desperately, people, I have, there is, I have no backup plan. God is my source. God is my director. God is my provider. And, and, and there is no other means. I tell you what, you, you show up on payday at work. You ain't going to miss payday. Nobody's going to miss payday. Why? Because there's a paycheck involved. Because that's the day you get your paycheck. And I'll see people, they'll, 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 they'll miss out on church because they're, they're, they, got, they got the hiccups that day. But they'll go to, they'll go, they'll go to dead gum, um, uh, they'll have cholera and go to work to get their paycheck. And that's because they value that paycheck, but they don't value the presence of God. They don't value the fellowship with His people. They don't value what it is that God wants to do through us and to us here in this experience that we have every week. And what happens is this, when you start missing out on church, you, you start going through a drought, and you have nothing to offer the people around you. What are you going to give to them? What are you going to give to them? You know, there's the three strikes in your out rule. Brother Vaughn taught it, Dad taught it, and I've just come to believe it, that if you miss out on church about three weeks, you might as well, we might as well just rip your name off the membership list for the most part. Because I tell you once, you, once you slip out, it's gone. Bye-bye time. Happens all the time. Because some don't value being part of the church. Some don't value the fellowship. You know, and some of you, you know, you, you got hurt or whatever in the past, and things have happened. You know what? I've been hurt in the past. I tell you what, you ain't been hurt near as much as I have in the church. But I'm here to tell you today that I believe in the church. I believe in God. I believe what it's supposed to be like. And if God says that it's supposed to be like this, I'd be danged if it can't happen. If God says this is what I want it to be like. And so we must strive as a community, as a body, to make this what God says it ought to be. Not the Baptist Association or the Methodist or anybody else or some board that has no clue of what the Bible says about the way the church ought to be run. We should look at the Word of God and say, God, what is your desire for your believers today in your community to love one another, to share the love of God with the whole world? What does that look like to you? And that's what we are to pursue. Opinions aside, likes aside, you know, you know if you wear bib overalls or you're a hipster, it don't matter. Just read the Word of God and let's do what the Word of God says. But we need to value fellowship. We need to value time with one another. We need to value God, and we need to value His church because it's all in the same ball. But fellowship is an essential ingredient to church life. You're not going to thrive as a believer if you don't integrate into the family of God because encouragement comes through there. Sometimes a rebuke might come through there. Reproof, admonition. A help, service, everything that you need, God designed in the church to be there for your benefit. Done through love. Not hate, but understanding this, hey, we're all covered by the blood. You know, I've got a Marine Corps tattoo. I can walk up and another Marine sees it and he looks at me and says, Oorah. I got a hog's tooth, so if another sniper sees it, then he sees that and he says, what's up, hog? But you know what, I love it when I go into a room of people. Might be a hundred, might be a thousand. And you look at somebody and say, man, they must love Jesus because of the way they're acting. 
You see, they don't need they don't need a tattoo. They don't need a they don't need a I love Jesus T-shirt and a bunch of goofy bumper stickers. What they need is a renewed, transformed heart that has been covered by the blood, so that there's no doubt that something's happened to this person because they don't act like worldly people. They act like Jesus. Amen. And that's the way that we need to function and operate. But for you to experience this colonial fellowship, you've got to value it. You've got to, you, you, you can't value fellowship with the world and value fellowship with the church at the same time. Because what happens is you start valuing the things of the world. You know, the, the, the worldliness, the drunkenness, the partying, the foolishness, all the things that the Bible says don't value. When you begin to value those things, your heart begins to turn. Uh, the condemnation begins to set in. Conviction begins to set in. And the next thing you know, you don't want to be around Christian folks because you feel uneasy. Now, you shouldn't feel condemned because the Bible says those that are in Christ are not condemned. Amen? But Jesus says that when you fall, what? Go back to where you fall and repent and do the works you did at first. We need to repent of those things. But you know what? We should have conviction. It's when you lose your convictions is when you're in trouble. It's when you can't even hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit in your life to say, hey, you need to stop doing that. And you know what? You stiff arm him long enough, he'll say, okay, I'm going to withdraw here, and I'm going to let you figure this out. When you get ready, he says, he says, when you're ready for me, you'll know where to find me. We must value fellowship. We must value the body of Christ. We must value the participation in what God designed for us today. So I want everybody to bow your head and close your eyes before we go. I want to ask you this. How many of you remember becoming a part of the body of Christ? How many of you remember that? How awesome an experience it was. You know, I remember when I was talking to Christy today about the guy that did the promise keepers on ship when I was in the Marine Corps. I had just given my life to the Lord, and I didn't have any Christian friends hardly. And I remember him. It's like he sought me out, not even knowing me, and he invited me to the, to, the, to the Promise Keepers meeting, and I became a part of that fellowship at that time. And some of you have been involved in, I've been involved in several fellowships. You know what, right now my fellowship is right here. You are my, you know, my family. You're my community. You're the body that God has called me to be a part of right now. But you know what, the way I entered into this fellowship initially was by accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And so, you know, some of you today, that's the reason why you're not participating in the Koinea Fellowship of Jesus Christ and his body. Some of you just need to get saved. Some of you need to say, Jesus, I need your blood to cover my sins. Some of you need to say, Jesus, I want to repent today and, and I want to serve you and I want you to be Lord of my life and I want to be a believer. I want to be a part of your family. Some of you look for acceptance. You know, people do stupid things to be accepted. We do the opposite of what we need to do to get, you know, what we, what we want in life. And Jesus saying, hey, I accept you so much that I died for you. I accepted you despite yourself and your sinfulness and, your, and the way that you live. But some of you day today need to just make Jesus Lord of your life. Some of you today to say, need, to, need to repent and surrender and be a part of the family. And some of you just need to repent of some of the worldliness in your life. 
Some of you are struggling because you're trying to be in church. You're trying to, you know, you, you kind of want to serve, but you got the things. You got the, the Paul says that we need to lay, lay aside every weight that so easily besets us. The things of the world that we hold on to or that we try to, 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 to delve in and we play with. God today says, hey, put those things out of your life. Get rid of that darkness. The Bible says that when we have things that are in darkness and we want to be healed of them, that we need to bring them into the light. But what is the Holy Spirit telling you today? How many of you today are, are convicted to say, man, I've, I, I got a decision I need to make in my life because it is disrupting the fellowship. It is disrupting the koinea community that God has called me to be a part of. So what is it? So while every head's still bowed and every eye's still closed, how many of you would today say that the Holy Spirit has spoke to you about something in your life that's disrupting the Koinea Fellowship? Lift your hands if it's you. Amen. There's several people saying, hey, there's something today that the Holy Spirit, it might be an idol, it might be something that you shouldn't be messing with, it might be people you need to get away from that are destroying what God wants to do in your life. What I want to do is this, is while everybody just, I want everybody to stand at their feet. I want Mom and William and, and, and Thatcher's and Christy, if y'all come down, and the, and the staff. You know, I believe that some, you know, some of you are, are, feel lonely. Some of you feel unaccepted. Some of you feel things that you shouldn't feel as a believer. Some of you need to be saved so you'll quit feeling these things. But today, if you'd like to give your life to Christ, there's people here that could help you do that. Today, if you feel... Anything that you shouldn't feel as a believer. There's people today that can pray for you to be healed of whatever it is. But I just want to take a moment while Sharissa leads us in worship. Today, let us minister to you. Whatever it is that you want to deal with today. Today, you want to be accepted? Come. Today, you want to be healed? Come. Let us pray for you and minister to you while Sharissa leads us in worship.